all think about what we eat. We plan our meals or count carbs or do any number of other things when it comes to what we put in our bodies. But do you ever think about the flavor of what you consume? Sure you do. What we eat or drink either tastes good or it doesn't. In fact, taste is the number one consideration in what we consume. Yet, there is more to it than just like or dislike. And there's even a whole industry dedicated to it. Flavor is memory. Flavor is feeling. Flavor is science. Flavor is art. Flavor is McCormick Fauna. I'm Corey Doucette, and welcome to our Flavor University podcast, where we explore the science, artistry, and industry behind flavor. Battle lines are drawn. Friend against friend, brother against sister, and no one is backing down. No, this isn't an argument over politics or taxes. It's far more important than that. These arguments have stood and will stand the test of time and continue to divide us all. Does pineapple belong on a pizza? Can you eat McNuggets without dipping sauce? Is licorice the jelly bean of disgust? Okay, so I'm embellishing a little on the severity of the issue, but nonetheless, polarizing flavors exist for many reasons, and people are figuratively willing to die on that hill of like or dislike when it comes to these flavor fights. We'd like to welcome back the podcast Consumer Insights Manager, Pamela Oscarson, and Director of Sensory, Katie Buss, as we take a look at these polarizing flavors and determine who's right, who's wrong, and how much does it really matter. Welcome back, ladies. Thank you for coming to the podcast once again. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Corey. Yeah, no problem. No problem. So why don't I have you guys start before I know you've both done this before. You know how it works. Let's have you introduce yourselves. Katie, why don't you go ahead and go first? Sure. Hi, um, Katie Buss, Sensory Director at Fona been a phone for almost 15 years and I lead our center team. And I'm Pamela Oscarson, Consumer Insights Manager. I put the consumer lens on all of the categories that we cover through consumer surveys and I have been at Fona almost 16 years. So why are you guys here? What makes you specialists on why people like some flavors and why others don't? Well, at Fona, people are coming to us to taste all the time and they want our feedback on whether they're heading in the right direction or not and what something tastes like. And what in your day-to-day you know, jobs makes you uniquely qualified for this kind of discussion? Well, I do over 100 surveys a year asking consumers what flavors they like and dislike based on a specific category. And everyone is always asking, what's the next flavor, right? What's the next pumpkin spice? What is it? And we have actual data to back that up. And data is the most important thing, obviously, when it comes to this, because nothing wins an argument better than actual hard facts saying, well, 40% of this or 30% of that. By the way, I have no data for any of my claims. So if I tell you that I, you know, this is disgusting or I don't like it, it's, it's not backed up by anything but my own personal experience, um, which makes me wonder, you know, that probably has something to do with it. My experience, you know, as, as an adult or a child or whatever, have probably shaped my flavor likes and dislikes. Would that be something true? Is that yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a number of factors that influence us and, and define what we consider as polarizing. Environmental is absolutely one of them. So environmental or cultural, how you grew up, emotions, and even our genetics play a huge role in, in what we perceive as to be polarizing or what we love or what we hate. But things that you were uh, shown from birth, you know, like your parents made your decisions on what you, what you got to eat, right? But then as you grow and as you develop, you introduce yourself to different foods, right? So something that you loved or hated as a kid, maybe you have a different opinion as an adult. And that's a lot of that's based on who's around you, what's around you. And a lot of it 
a lot of it's based on memory and perception, right? So you perceive it to taste like something and whether it does or not will trigger your next step of, oh, do I try it? I've heard this. Or for me, it was always coconut. My mom didn't like coconut when I was growing up, so I never even tried it. So I assumed that I didn't like it. And then it wasn't until I started working at Fona that I actually tried it. But now I'm even skeptical to buy like a coconut cream pie because I'm like, ah. Oh, I've had it and I think I like it, but I'm not really sure. So it's, it's difficult. It's definitely triggered by memory for sure. I always give the same advice. Like when my wife and I go out to dinner, you know, she'll be like, I don't know what to get on this menu. I need to see the, you know, I need to see it before I go and make the decision because it takes a while for her to decide. Whereas I sit down and I look for something that's, it's probably not new to me. It's probably like, I know that if I'm going to go to Olive Garden, I'm going to get chicken parm. I know that if I go to some other Italian restaurant, that's probably what I'm going to try first. It's safe. It's easy. Mm-hmm. I know that I will like it. It's very difficult to screw that up for me. Yes. But I also know that I typically don't like, they call it this, this marguerite salad, and that's because it's got pineapple in it. Mm-hmm. And, it and I don't know if that's because when I was a kid, you know, a bad experience with pineapple or I didn't get it enough or something like that. But like like you, Pamela, I, I just sat down when my when I was introduced to it by my mother-in-law. She was like, just try this, you know, and I like I must have made six different faces before I got in there. But <laughs> then I, you know, I did it and effectively I changed my feeling about pineapple and pineapple flavors and whatnot. And so we, we mentioned really quickly like genetics. Mm-hmm. That seems how is that possible? Like how can I you know, are the genetics so ingrained in me that I can't change them? Or is it something that I can consciously change my genetics? Well, I think you can certainly learn to appreciate a food product or learn to appreciate a, a flavor over the years. And depending on how it's presented to you, right, or how it's made. But in terms of genetics, like we've talked about super tasters before. Based on the number of bitter receptors you have in your tongue or certain olfactory receptors you have, that's already ingrained in you. So some people really hate cilantro for the fact that it smells like soap and that's based on a particular olfactory receptor that they have. Or some people just really hate coffee or really hate bitter vegetables because they're really bitter sensitive. They have more of those bitter receptors. So sometimes we can learn to appreciate something based on maybe a cooking method, but some things are just always going to be bitter, always going to be soapy, always just going to be gross. (laughs) How do we change minds? How can we take people that have gone for years you know, and said, I don't like a certain flavor or a certain this or that, and they're stuck to it. How do, how do we change those minds? Like when we interview people or when we have them come taste, mm-hmm. you know, do you ever have people that are just like, I can't taste for you because I don't like that? Sometimes. Um, but in order, I mean, when we're wanting to change someone's mind or a consumer or get them open to trying something new, we might pair it with something that's a little bit more familiar to get them a little bit more eager to want to try it. And then either they like it or they don't like it, but that's at least getting them to want to try it. You can also do it with a naming as well. You don't have to call it something specific mm-hmm. depending on your regulatory requirements. But when we're first introducing it, you could we could call it whatever we want, right? Citrus blend or whatever. And it could be something polarizing could be in there. And then it could be eye-opening for consumers at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. I think that works well with children too. I can introduce anything called mermaid to my daughter and she'd be all about it. <laughs> or I'll meet his chicken, right? I, like here's your chicken. And it's not, but that's Pork okay. chops are still chicken for her. That's exactly right. Yeah. So Katie, you, you had mentioned that if I pair something unfamiliar with something liked or familiar, it can change my feeling about that. What is, I guess what I'm asking is, what can I, what can I pair with something I don't like to change my mind? I mean, is there something like a universal flavor or is it a type of food that I can put with anything and all of a sudden somebody will try it? Yeah, so an easy one could be, so I am not a huge spicy fan. 
So habanero pepper, if I just saw that, I'd be like, absolutely not. But you can pair it with mango habanero. I love mangoes. I might be willing to try that and be might be a little bit more accepting of that heat, knowing that there's some of that sweet tropical note along with it. And we can do this with fruit flavors too, like dragon fruit or passion fruit. If people are not very familiar with it, like maybe a dragon fruit pineapple, dragon fruit coconut or passion fruit pineapple. So pairing it with something that is more familiar from childhood or whatever, they may be more willing to try it and consume it. Even adding like a simple vanilla flavor profile as your top note could make it a little more appealing and appetizing to consumers where it's very basic. We understand, we know what vanilla tastes like, so I should be okay. Now, do they tend to do this for children? Because I know a lot of the purees that we're giving to my son, they're not just like, you know, kale. You know, here's some kale. With pineapple, right? It's like there's Mm -hmm. a huge blend of different familiar fruits. Berries are always very popular within the green kale added because it's, it's okay. My son, he's going to be eight. So it was, they weren't as fancy in their pairings. Then it was like, okay, here's your green beans and here's your apples. And my husband used to put the apples on the spoon first and then the green beans or whatever. And we would trick him, but it's way more sophisticated now. But even on the pouches, like my son loved the pouches and, but you're, you're marketing to the adults too, right? So if I see kale smoothie, but there's berries and bananas and all the other things, the kale part is the bitter part, right? But it's also triggering, oh, greens and health to my son who's not going to eat just that on its own, but he loves berries and bananas and all these other things. So that's kind of masking that bitterness of all of those healthy greens. And a kale is definitely a polarizing flavor for me. I will, I, I will, oh, I mean, and I, and I hate to make these noises into the microphone, but I mean, just so, you know, right. I, I, mushrooms I've, and I go, yeah, like I've seen like, you know how they say everything tastes good fried. So I thought like, oh, okay, well, let's chop up some kale, you know, season that, and then we'll try and air fry it or something. <laughs> no, no, I can't, I can't make that work. So I'm seeing a couple of notes on here about, you know, childhood flavors, more specifically uh, a reference to Dunkaroos and Twinkies. I mean, two of my food staples, but evidently they're for children. Can you guys tell me like what we're talking about here? Yeah, we're seeing a lot of nostalgic flavors come back, but also products that were out when maybe we were kids that are now coming back. So Dunkaroos is an excellent example. There's also a whole line of pint ice cream that are like little Debbie snacks that are now flavors within ice cream. So I think there's going to be a a huge resurgence of nostalgic flavors, classic flavor profiles that are going to come back and make consumers feel good. It's a cool conversation piece to have with your kids too, because you love this as a child and you're wanting to introduce it and you're wanting them to love it as much as you do. And that could even be a little battle in your own home and they might hate it. You're like, what? This was the best thing when I was a kid. Or they're going to be sad when they're all missing from the pantry because you (laughs) ate them. Exactly. (laughs) I think I'm starting to see kind of a trend of that in like this generation of, of consumers too, is that we love nostalgic things. I mean, they're bringing back the television shows from when I was a kid. They're making movies out of the characters I loved as a kid, you know, because I mean, that's who's marketing and selling things at this point in time. Mm -hmm. I do know of more currently, there's, there's a gentleman on TikTok that literally goes through all the things that we used to have as children. And he ends up with, and they took it away from us. (laughs) And he actually single-handedly, maybe not single-handedly, but he brought back the cake stir oreos so oreo nabisco reached yeah. out to him and was basically like hey will you work with us bring this back and whatever and like he, he talks about all the things that have come back like 3d doritos the little puff pillows <laughs> mm-hmm. have you seen those but yeah i mean 
huge, huge things as far as, you know, comebacks. And, and that's amazing to me. So we've talked kind of generally about, you know, specific products and flavors and whatnot. Is there like a top 10 list? Because I know like when I go to like BuzzFeed or something like that, that's my attention span. It's like, what's my top 10 of like polarizing flavors? Yeah, there's, I mean, if you go Google, you know, the same, that just that top 10 polarizing flavors, you're going to get a whole bunch of lists from a whole bunch of people. But some of the top ones that I know that we've seen are like cilantro. Like we just talked about, that's a little bit genetic, right? It's either soapy or it's this really great green fresher that we like to top, you know, our, our certain dishes. Grapefruit is another one, but that's also genetic. It's bitterness, right? If we're, if we're really bitter sensitive, we might not like grapefruit. Licorice or anise is one, and that's more emotional. That you talked about like licorice being the worst jelly bean in the bag. Some people love it. Some people hate it. I find the older generation seems to love it and the younger generation really seems to hate it. But they were exposed to that in, in a different way than we were, right? Vegemite is something that's cultural. Um, that's something, you know, from Australia that you either love it or hate it. Um, look it up. <laughs> it sounds a little interesting. Fennel, curry, Brussels sprouts, coffee, coconut, candy corn. These are just a few. These, I mean, I just listed 10. But I know that there are so many that are not listed here that we've talked about even separately, such as mint, like spearmint or lavender or other floral things. But I, they, I think if you talk to each individual person ever, you're going to find that everyone has their own kind of like top five or top 10 list of things that are either really awful or really wonderful. Interesting, though, that those things are still very popular. No, mm -hmm. because think of like Brussels sprouts was the kale of a couple of years ago. And you sure. can go and get amazingly tasting Brussels sprouts at restaurants, right? Mm -hmm. They're deep fried and they, they're charred. Like yeah. they taste amazing and they're still around. So yeah. it's interesting that there's pockets of consumers with a love-hate relationship with all of those foods mm -hmm. and they're still here. Yep. And are those consumers the ones that are keeping these things around or is it the reinvention of these these flavors? I think it's the reinvention. It's yeah. the chefs that are taking it to the next level, the consumers using their air fryers at home to add new flavor profiles and mixing it all together to make it taste good. Well, then you have people who, like, I'm speaking for myself, there are things that I hate, but I know I should probably like or I'm trying to like because I don't like to hate something. I want to at least try it once. And if I don't like it, I'm like, okay, well, how can I make that? So Brussels sprouts is one. I've never liked Brussels sprouts. And so many people have told me, okay, well, you have to get the pickled Brussels sprouts or you have to roast them this way or you have to try vinegar. I'm like, okay, so then you do experiments and how, how do I want to eat my Brussels sprouts or beets or mushrooms? Like those are three things that I'm trying to like, but sometimes it's just the reinvention of what cooking method or how it's presented to you that maybe you'll find something that you like. It's weird to me, and, and I do this too, it's the concept of wanting to like something. Like knowing that it's popular and wanting to eat it. Like Swiss cheese for me. Mm -hmm. Like my mother used to have it on her sandwiches and I was just like, I can't with this, but I want to. And I don't know what draws that need of wanting to. Maybe it's like, like you said, exposure or whatever, but mushrooms. My mother used to do marinated mushrooms mm -hmm. and they're the little button mushrooms in a jar. And I would just be like, I want to like this because you love them. And I think it's because I loved her. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's the connection. There's an emotional tie to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I sure. loved it. So I want to like it. Yeah. <laughs> and emotion plays a huge role in the things that we eat because it makes you feel good and you want, especially within the past two years, like consumers are pulling in grasping and how can I feel better? Right. So the nostalgic foods, they're making them feel better. But the fact that you wanted to eat mushrooms because your mom loved them, like that makes mm -hmm. you feel good. Right. Well, Even though you don't. 
Yeah. And there's a physiological reason why that exists. So polarized foods and smells are processed in the same region of our brain was where memories are stored. So when you smell something wonderful and takes you to a place, right? So it reminds you of something like when you smell chocolate chip cookies or for me, if, if I smell somebody making Kool-Aid, I'm instantly like a first grader in Girl Scouts. Like things have memory tied to them, right? So that's another reason why there are such strong feelings and such strong ties to these certain foods or certain flavors. I've seen a huge resurgence of just memes that say mm. like, he's building a core memory, right? Yes. So you're pulling out your core <laughs> memories based on taste and how it makes you feel. And Absolutely. that's exciting. So since we're, we're kind of doing the nostalgia kickbacks here, are there any flavors out there that you've seen kind of start small but become more popular over time? Oh, for sure. So through Flavor Radar, which is our flavor mapping methodology, um, we've tracked Chipotle. So many years ago, it wasn't very popular. 1993 was only in fine dining restaurants. And then as it progressed over time, it started to be introduced in magazines and um, fresh out of pizza. And then it made it to cousin subs. And when you make it to a sub shop, you have essentially made it. But that slow transgression or progression over time being introduced slowly into tortilla chips and giving consumers more exposure and pairing it with unique flavors, I think helped Chipotle become what it is today where you, you see it everywhere. So I also want to kind of dip our toe into this area of thing of like foods that you can't imagine people not liking. I mean, let, let's talk, let's say like ice cream. There's a flavor for everybody. There's got to be, you know, but again, I'm assuming that lactose intolerant people are also kind of anti-ice cream, but it just seems to me like you can't not like it. Do you think there are other other flavors like that out there? How could you imagine somebody not liking cookies per se? Even pickles, right? Like I have two friends on opposite ends of the spectrum. One, someone at the table at a restaurant has to remove the pickle from her plate when they bring a burger <laughs> to another friend where she'll, we dared her to drink the pickle juice from the jar. Like personally, I love pickles and I marinate my chicken in the, I'm the pickle brine. take the pickle and right. I'll take it. Yeah. But there's people that hate pickles. Like I, I can't imagine having a summer barbecue without one. I like stare my friends down that don't like pickles and my wife included until they give it to me. I mean, I was that kid at like grade school, like sidling up next to you going, you, you need that? You need that? Like school roll? That was my jam. I was watching a, a, a TikTok the other day. Uh, this guy was showing you how to make the uh, school pizza. You know, the they were square. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where they were like, oh, they're like, oh, it's square. You know, when you were a kid, it's like, oh, it's cardboard boy. And now I'm like, I, I need, I need that. Do you guys know of any flavors that, are you both originally from Illinois or no? Mm -hmm. yes. yes. So are you aware of any flavors that used to exist as a child that you've gone somewhere else and they just, they aren't there? Like, for example, for me, I used to be big with Elio's when I was a kid, which is a, a cardboard square pizza. Mm -hmm. Out here, it's unheard of. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if there's something that you guys can think of that, you know, used to be huge when you were kids and just gone. So for me, it was growing up, we always went and had pork dumplings and sauerkraut like that like a traditional Polish restaurant where you went and they brought your kolachkis as dessert. Like it, it almost died off like where there aren't. And I live probably 40 miles from where I grew up. So a lot of those small little mom and pop restaurants are closing and they're not here. But even the thought of like, we would have sauerkraut for Christmas Eve dinner. And my husband would be like, no, there's no way I'm even trying now where I'm like, Oh, I can't wait. That's like, that's what I take first. <laughs> Which again, kind of touches back on, you know, culture and whatnot. Cause that's typically like Polish or Czech. Okay. Mm -hmm. Polish or Czech food. I mean, I'm French Canadian and Italian. So, I mean, 
Irish. I, yeah, I don't have much <laughs> in the way of, well, for the Italian side of me, I, I have those flavors of, of memory from childhood, but the French Canadian mm -hmm. side, I couldn't specifically tell you, you know, oh, that's a French Canadian dish. I mean, I guess poutine maybe, which I've never had. Yeah. You can get it at a, a local restaurant near here. So I'm going to have to look, look that up. Yeah. Definitely going to need that. All right. We've gone around and we've said a lot of, you know, what we like, what people like, what they dislike. Let's talk about customers, customer facing side of, of this flavor, of these polarizing flavors. What's good for our customers to know about polarizing flavors? I think one of the biggest things is we're never going to make everyone happy, right? But we're wanting to make the majority happy and especially our consumers. So whatever product we're developing, we need to understand who the consumer is and what their likes are for that particular product. And then if we're trying to develop something maybe a little bit newer and novel, like we were talking about pairing it with something a little bit more familiar to get them to want to try something new. And I also think it's don't be afraid to put your consumer hat on. I think we live within these silos of like 16 years in the flavor industry. We forget what it's like to be an average person, right? We taste different. We look at products differently than everyone else. So take a step back, put on your consumer hat and don't be afraid to ask consumers because you'd hate to launch a product that you think is great when at the end of the day, consumers won't like it. How do you do that? How do you step out of your professional shoes and become average Joe taster? It's hard. It's really hard. I mean, being in this industry for so long, you, you are no longer a consumer. So to put your consumer hat on and step out of your body for a little bit, you have to surround yourself with consumers. So under one, understanding who that consumer is, maybe bringing them into a room or, or creating a survey and reaching out to those consumers and asking them questions to try to immerse yourself in what they're saying, what they're thinking and what they're liking. And I'm that person at the grocery store that if like someone's picking something up and they're looking at it, like, oh, have you tried that before? Do mm -hmm. you like it? Like Ask playing questions. that role yeah. and asking the questions of like, oh, what are your thoughts on that? And they don't know who you are and what it is that you do. So mm -hmm. it's, it's okay. Just be like, oh, I wanted to buy that. And then getting their feedback that way. And try to keep it not creepy. Yeah. Like be <laughs> incognito, right? Like it's like, yeah. Yeah. Like, be genuine. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, obviously, in your profession, when you do those kinds of things, you are completely genuine. Right. But if it were me, like, going up to somebody and being like, hey, you like that flavor? All <laughs> of a sudden, like, you know, I got mall security around me. <laughs> so that's, that's why I kind of just watch from the sidelines when it comes to that kind of stuff. But anyways, I was going to ask, really ask, when you were talking about, you know, asking tasters or, or whatnot to taste for you so that you can get an unbiased opinion. Are your family's guinea pigs? Do they know this? Oh, absolutely. They know this and they don't like it at all. I am not a fun, I shouldn't say I'm not a fun person to go eat with when my, with my family. It's more like when I make something at home, I really want to understand if you like it or if you don't like it. So I'm either going to keep it in my weekly meal rotation or I'll change it up. So do you like it or you don't like it? And my husband is notorious for just saying like, yeah, it's great. Like, yeah, it's fine. Until you make mean? it again. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, I didn't like it. Well, you yeah. didn't tell me that you or, didn't like it. I did, you didn't notice I didn't have this seconds. This is a little different. What did you do? I'm like, well, you didn't like it. You didn't give me any feedback. <laughs> I need to know. <laughs> yeah, we're our own worst critics, I think, where you're like, oh, mm. I think it tastes good. Or, yeah, it's it getting is, their feedback. It's yeah. important. It is so good to hear somebody else say these things. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times that I've made something and asked my wife, like, hey, what do you think? It's good good uh -oh. you'll, you'll be so proud of it i think it tastes so good and then they're like that's fine yeah. what does that mean 
Yeah. What does I, mine mean? I've learned to, to read minimal reactions of, you know, there's a difference between, you know, I'm not hungry anymore and it's good. You know, mm -hmm. one was spectacular. And the other I think was... if they go back for seconds or if they keep eating or if they ate all of it, then that's your answer. Yeah. Agreed. All right. So we're at the end of our podcast. So why don't we end like we always do with our quick off the cuff questions. Who would like to start? I'm okay. actually going to give you the option because you've both done this before. I'll go. All right. Pamela's going to go first. So Pamela, since we're talking about polarizing flavors, why don't we talk about what is, have you ever gotten into an argument? over a flavor. Oh, for sure. Like, and I've talked to before on podcasts about mustard. Like my husband thinks that I have to like mustard because he likes mustard. And my, my son, I think is in the camp of like the coconut for me. He won't try it because I don't like it. So I think it's that just try it. Just, just try it. Or you, you get a burger and there's mustard on there. And you're like, Oh, because we don't like to waste food. So you feel obligated to eat it. And you're like, Oh yeah. Mustard. No, no go. <laughs> Okay, so we've talked about your favorite flavor, favorite polarizing flavor. What's your least favorite polarizing flavor? Looking at the list that Katie has here, I kind of like all of them. I, don't, I can't say that I've tried Vegemite. Mm. Um, I love candy corn, specifically the little mallow pumpkins. Like, those are my go-to. Like, cilantro's always in my salsa. Like, I like grapefruit juice. Like, olives is probably in beets. That, those are probably the two things. You'd be like, Oop, not, I'm not ordering that or I'm not buying that. Even anise, like... If that's good for me, like curry. And I can't say that I've had a ton of curry to know whether I like it or not, but polarizing flavors, I, I don't, they're minimal for me. And that's probably good considering our profession. Right. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how, so here's your last question. How do you taste a flavor that you don't know you won't like? Like, how do you get through it? You just try it. Right. Like I expect my son to try, like, just try it. Just try. Like, doesn't always go over well, but you gotta try it. Yeah, At one point, we didn't, beyond being babies and being fed baby food, like, we didn't know. We didn't know. So we had to try it at some point. Mm -hmm. It's harder probably as an adult to try something new because you already, your mind's already made up. You're already so set and ingrained in your routine of what you like and dislike that trying something new is probably hard. Very hard. Like when you talk about going to a restaurant, you already know what you want because you you like it. You don't want to be swayed because if you try something new and you hate it, you're going to be upset. This is me every time I go to eat. My husband gets so mad. It's like, okay, don't, are you sure you want to order that? Because if you order that, you're going to be really upset. <laughs> it doesn't taste the way that you want it to taste. So why don't we start your questions with that and just say, when you go to a restaurant, we'll say you go to a Chinese food restaurant. What's your go-to dish? Egg for young, fried rice, and an egg roll. Every time? Every time. And that's because you know you'll like it. Because I know I like it. If I grew up eating all of those things and my family would order Chinese food, we would order a huge spread, but those are the things that I gravitated to. And then as I grew up, I found a restaurant, a Chinese restaurant that made their Chinese food exactly like how I liked it when I was a kid. Other people might hate it and think it's disgusting, but I love it. I think it's great. What is the sneakiest way you've gotten your child to eat something they didn't want to? I make smoothies. I hide lots of things in smoothies. My son grew up, he's 10, he's a very picky eater. He's better now, but I will hide all the things in smoothies. And hopefully he doesn't listen to this. And yeah, he <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and why don't we end with your polarizing flavor, least favorite? My least favorite flavor? Well, I might fight Pamela over candy corn. I am not a fan of candy corn. I think it tastes like plastic, so sorry. Even the little pumpkins, I don't know. I think I liked them as a kid, but I don't know that I like them anymore. 
beets, I absolutely, nope, absolutely not. Mushrooms are a no. And there's, I don't know that there's anything that I, I mean, grapefruit juice, I love. I love grapefruit. Grapefruit and cilantro, love them. I don't know how people could not like those things. That sounds like a flavor pairing, grapefruit, cilantro <laughs> or something. I mean, it's probably terrible, but it, like verbally, it sounds great. My husband hates grapefruit juice, and he, when he was growing up, his, he used to drink milk out of the gallon. So my mother-in-law refilled the gallon with grapefruit juice, and that was the last time that he drank milk from the gallon. The negative memory associated yes. with that now. <laughs> negative core memory. Yes. <laughs> pretty tricky. Pretty, pretty sneaky. I like it, though. I gotta, I gotta try that a few times with a few other things. Well, that's it for Flavor University Podcast. I'm Corey Doucette, and I'd like to thank our special guests, Katie Buss and Pamela Oscarson. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, the flavor of McCormick Fona is the flavor of life. So go out and taste it.